All right. <laughs> oh, it's good to see you guys. Uh, hope you had a good week this week. This, it is kind of different. We don't have our, our regular video and our trailers and all that kind of stuff, and we're kind of out, but we still got Damien, right? All right, yeah. We still got... So, some things just are, you know, and uh, interest, interesting, uh, this set and everything, all the work that has gone into it, uh, the team there wants me to personally invite you to the last performance, which will be this Friday night. There are still tickets available, and if you go on the website, you will be able to get those. And uh, this is really special. These kids do a wonderful, wonderful job. So if you want a special treat, uh, come on out on Friday night. It's, I think it starts at 6.30. Uh, so you might want to enjoy that uh, as the week unfolds. I want to add my uh, thanks. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Damien and I both, you know, walking through some of It was his wife's grandmother that passed away, and he was down in the Oakland area to celebrate her life. And uh, I left on Monday to go down to my brother's service on Wednesday. And I just want to say thanks for your prayers. Uh, it really, really made a difference for us. Um, I did the service. Um, it was it was. It was pretty powerful in the sense that the location was the old Methodist church that I grew up in. And I, 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 in fact, it dawned on me that I had been in that same church 25 years ago and spoke at my dad's uh, service in that church 25 years ago this month. Uh, so a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings. I've met family members that I've never met before uh, and, and some that I hadn't seen probably in 30 or, or 40 years. A um, lot of dynamics were playing around and, and different se- seasons of his life that intersected with mine. And um, it, I don't know, it was just quite a, a time. And quite honestly, it's been a bit of a challenge to shift gears back into even, even the weekend. But, um, but it, was quite, it was quite a celebration. I remember, well, one of the, one of the things I think I mentioned to you, he, he was kind of quirky and, and eccentric and he wanted bagpipes, you know, and especially the bagpipes with ACDC. You know, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, if you can imagine that. And I, and I had, I kind of weaved that to the end, and, and this bagpiper started playing this while the song started going. And I'm looking at the church organist down here of this local church that plays the pipe organ. And I, she was just rolling her eyes. I, tell you, I thought she's going to probably have to pray this thing out or something like that. I don't know, but, but it, was a, it was quite a moment. But I want to thank you for your prayers, and, and they really made all the difference. Times like that, uh, it really reminds you how important our, our church family is. And I know many of you go through those, and um, it just, uh, it's a great support, and I want to say thanks to you. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 22 this morning, and we do have some Bibles available as usual if, you, uh, if you'd like to connect with one. Um, we are continuing our series, His Story. This happens to be chapter 11 uh, that we are in this week. We're winding down this series that we've been in for several weeks now, following the life of Christ. And uh, in case you're just kind of stepping in, this, this book we've been walking through is essentially a synthesis of the four Gospels laid out chronologically. So they're kind of syncing up. The Gospels are syncing up following the life of Christ. My challenge has been to kind of find a common theme uh, in, in all the stories that are in each of the chapters. And now we're winding down near the end. Uh, last week we celebrated the triumphant entry as Jesus came into Jerusalem for the last time, came over the hill from uh, Bethany over the Mount of Olives and uh, rode into the city to the Hosannas. Normally we celebrate that on what we call Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. But there are several things we wanted to squeeze in here the next couple of weeks that, that are kind of zeroing in the last few hours, in fact, of Christ's life. Um, 
Today, we're reminded that as the week unfolded, that, that all of a sudden his teaching began to stir things up to an intense moment to where now these religious leaders are determined to get rid of Jesus. They're determined to kill Jesus and find any way they can do. Even to the point of uh, drawing from one of his own disciples to betray him. We, of course, know that that's Judas, and that will happen on Wednesday of that week. And so now we're coming up to Thursday where they're moving toward this last meal, the last supper we often call it, and it's in the upper room, and they're going to be celebrating the Passover feast. As Jesus is, is zeroing in now with these, these disciples that God has given him to pour into over a three-year period of time, these last words that Jesus is going to share are so essential. As you can only imagine, uh, he's wanting to make a lasting impression on them because this is it, you know? Uh, everything they hear now is what they're going to, uh, you know, remember. They're going to go on, and, and hopefully it's going to uh, perpetuate uh, this, this story that we've been living with these last weeks. Jesus knows that they can't do it alone. Uh, they will fail if they try. And so the common theme that I saw throughout this chapter, through you know, this upper room experience, is, is Jesus' passion that they be unified. That was so important to him, that they be uh, bonded together, that they be one. In fact, John, in his gospel, if you're looking at the top of your notes, in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, we record a part of this high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed, and here's what he said. He said, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He goes on in that prayer to say, not only those that you gave me, but those that will come after them. That's us right here, by the way. And he says, the essential thing is, is that we're one. We're going to be together. And, and um, he says, the world is going to know that I'm in you and you're in me. They're going to know this by the love that we have for one another, by the unity that is there. This is why it was so important to Jesus. And so if you can imagine with me uh, this morning, as we kind of are transported into that upper room with those disciples, the things that Jesus is going to say in that, that setting are the things that are literally going to enable them to endure the tough times that are ahead. And I don't think that's just true for them. It's true for us as well. In fact, as uh, I've been thinking about and preparing for this, uh, it, it is it's such a potent time that we're going to kind of just scratch the surface and we're going to be looking at a couple of the symbols and memorials, of course, that took place. But I began to realize that John's gospel, for example, from chapter 13 to chapter 17 is just devoted to that evening meal that they share in the upper room. And much of what he does there is to prepare them for the coming Holy Spirit. And so I just, just kind of made a decision that after Easter, and we've got a, a kind of a subsequent uh, lesson that's going to tie all this together at the end, but Pentecost, what we say as Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover, so roughly seven weeks, that'll be May 20th this year. 
And I've just kind of laid out a series of messages on the Holy Spirit that Jesus teaches in, in that setting as well. We just don't have time to deal with it in, at this time, but it's essential. And so I want to spend a few weeks, even in preparation for that Pentecost, which we celebrate, that, that's essentially the church's birthday. That's when the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers that Jesus was preparing. But I, I just think it's a time for us to revisit what is the work of the Spirit? What, how do we understand the power that he, uh, that he taught us to expect? What does it look like? How does the Spirit guide you and direct you? How do you cultivate a hearing ear that, that can truly detect the voice of God through that same Spirit? So we're gonna devote some weeks on what Jesus taught in, in that as we look, uh, look ahead. Just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Today, though, I want us to go to that place, and I want us to be with those disciples and, and to hear what Jesus has to say to us and what he's trying to impress upon them and on us that hopefully is gonna have a lasting impact. So let's pray to that end and ask him for that, okay? Lord, we bow before you today. We're thanking for your word and, and for all that it, it has come to mean. Lord, today in particular, you're not only gonna teach the word, but you're gonna show example of that love that you have for us. And all these things, Lord, were, were I think by design to bring us together, to bring a unity, a bonding of one another, the hearts of one another. And we just sense your heart and the passion you had that we be one as you and your Father were one. So I just trust that we'll hear those words, that we will put them into practice, and that we will bring to you hearts and ears that are prepared to, um, to listen and to obey. So we trust you for this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Luke, uh, Luke 22 starts off, and uh, what I want to do, uh, again, this common thread of unity, I, I kind of asked myself as I approached this chapter, I looked at these various uh, teachings and moments in that upper room, what was this common thread? It was about the unity. So I asked myself, what are some things that Jesus was specifically intentionally doing to bring unity to his disciples in these closing hours of their relationship, earthly relationship with each other? So let me walk you through those uh, this morning and, and see if they resonate with where we're at. Here's the first one that I noticed, is that they worked together. Jesus' followers worked together. He delegated things to them, and in this case, it says that when there came the day of unleavened bread of which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, so Jesus sent Peter and John and said, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Okay? He sent him the, the two guys, Peter and John. It seems like these are two guys that were together quite a lot, in fact. Go prepare this meal for us. If you were with us last week, it reminds you a little bit about the preparations for him to enter the city in the first place. Remember the donkey that he told him, go find out uh, the person who's got this, and you go to such and such a place and say, the master has need of this, this donkey, and they're gonna give him to you, you know, and, and bring him. So he kind of prepares him, Sim similar way, he says, go into the city, and, and at such and such a place, there's going to be a person who has a room that is going to be made available to us so that we can celebrate this meal together. Now, think about this. At Passover time, some have estimated anywhere from four to five times as many people would be in Jerusalem. Rooms would be a premium. You wouldn't find one, okay? 
Uh, and so in some respects, it's almost a miracle that they would have a place set apart to where they could observe that, but they indeed found that, and he had sent his disciples to go and prepare for that. It, it got me to thinking about something about our life together. Guys, you know, when you come here and, and we, we experience this each weekend and we come together, you probably don't realize this, but there are literally hundreds of volunteers that are committed to serving here at North Shore Christian Church. They are doing things that you might be the recipient of, the beneficiary of, but, but you never know who to attribute that to. And yet many of you have grown in your spiritual walk to recognize that it's not enough about just to, to receive all the time, to be a consumer, that you're gonna grow and mature to the place where now you're looking to invest yourself in the kingdom and in the work of God. That's what our goal is. It is not for us to just do everything ourselves, okay? I mean, it's churches, a lot of churches still operate that way. Oh, well, we pay you to do that. And I said, well, no, you pay us to equip you to do that. We're the coaches, you're the players, right? And that's why we call our uh, welcome class, Get in the Game. We want you to get out of the stands and get in the game and, and to become some of those laborers. And it is not just about the task that you're calling to do. This is not just a task-driven thing. It is because of the relationships that you are going to encounter when you start working together. And there is spiritual growth that happens when that, that happens. If you're not involved serving in some way, you're missing a dimension, an important dimension of your spiritual growth. One of the reasons why, if you saw just a few moments ago, we were talking about next week, we're going to have another get in the game, and for newcomers that come in to find out about who we're, where we're at and get, get connected. But there's a third class. We call it Discover Your Ministry. And if you've never gone through that, th this thing is a game changer, literally, to discover how God has wired you up and the spiritual gifts he's given you and to identify some of the passion and desires he's placed in your heart and then to fit you for ministry. I'm, I'm really grateful for one of our elders, John Paxson, who, who has guided this and, and has worked with many of you to, um, to get you connected in those settings. But again, it's about the relationships that, that are going to grow. I just want to challenge you along those lines. There is power in working together, and it unifies us. It binds us together as we do that. So that that's what these guys were going to work and prepare for. What were they preparing? It was the Passover meal. Now, some of you may just be newer to, uh, to the Bible and maybe to the history of the Bible and things like that. And perhaps when you hear this word Passover, you're not quite sure what that was all about. Let me just give a brief uh, kind of summary. Years ago, uh, probably upwards of uh, uh, 1,500 years before Christ, the children of Israel found themselves enslaved in captivity in Egypt. They had been there for 430 years. It was Joseph who God had orchestrated going there to save his people, his family, uh, from the famine that was there. And at first, this was a huge blessing. But as time went on, they became slaves of Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians, and it became very miserable. After 430 years, God sent a deliverer. Remember his name? Moses. And Moses, uh, at the hand of God, delivered 10 plagues and the last of those plagues was the angel of death. 
This is what was going to happen, he said. The angel of death is going to vi visit the firstborn of every one of your families. But he spoke to God's people. He said, listen, if you will take an unblemished, spotless lamb, sacrifice it, and then spread the blood of that lamb over the doorposts, when the angel of death comes, he's going to pass over your house so that the angel of death won't visit. And then you take that lamb and you have a meal. You prepare that for a meal. And that is going to be a memorial that you're going to remember what God has done to deliver you from the clutches of that captivity, that slavery. Now guys, you know, throughout this series we've been saying his story is our story. And that was a picture of what God has done for you and me. I don't know if you understand this or not, but we were not born believers. We were not born Christians. We were not born followers of God. We were born in sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, you may have been raised in a Christian home and not known much of, of the captivity of the world. That may be true. But many of us do remember that captivity of sin, don't we? We know the clutches. We know the chains that, that surround And we knew that it took a miracle to deliver us from that. And so that's a reminder of the captivity, of the deliverance, and that it was the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who is sufficient, even over our doorposts, so that the angel of death now will pass over us and will not visit us. That's why we celebrate John 3.16, that God's love is so great that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And so... So it kind of set in place in motion this reminder of what God's activity was all about. And now that Jesus is here in the upper room, they are once again celebrating that dinner, that meal. And, and that really brings me to the second observation here. They not only worked together to kind of get this all prepared and that bound them together, but they ate together. You guys came together for this last meal where Jesus is going to pour all these things out. They ate together. And would you agree, there is something binding about when you eat, to eat dinner with somebody. When you want to start a relationship or connect with somebody, don't you usually kind of say, hey, you want to meet for coffee? Or, hey, why don't you come over to our home for dinner? We'd like to get to know you better. There's just something, something about that. I know in our, um, our life group, uh, for Annette and myself, we tried something different this year. Uh, we used to meet at 7 o'clock, and we would have some just finger things or snack or whatever when they'd come in just for something to kind of nibble on before we'd start, you know, but it was 5, 10 minutes, and then we'd get started. We decided to back it up to about 6 o'clock, and for those who wanted to and those who could, uh, we would come together and just share a meal. It'd usually be something simple, like a big pot of, of uh, soup or uh, like a potato bar or something, and then we invite our, our group members to just kind of contribute and bring whatever they can. We'll send a note out, and forever shows up. And you know, I think you guys that are in the room here would probably testify, this has been really rich. This is, this is kind, of, kind of introduced a dimension of fellowship that we hadn't known. And there's just something special when you eat a meal together that binds you together. I know that if I'm putting a pastor's meeting together, and I want to bring the guys, if I have a meal, the participation's going to go up about 100%. <laughs> you know, you say, we've got food, and boom. 
You notice we're not just having a men's meeting of teaching. It's a men's breakfast, right? And Damien had to, you know, mention, the, oh, there's going to be a lot of food there. We hope, anyway. Um, something special about that. And these guys, they got into the room, and this is what they were there for, is to remember this, this Passover meal. It was highly symbolic. And the, the things that would happen at this were something that, that had been passed down for centuries. Here's how it would go. The family would gather together. They would, they would have this lamb, uh, and they, they would be around the table, and the children would begin to ask questions. Some of the questions were along these lines. One, father, they would say, what do the bitter herbs mean? And the father would say, those are to be a reminder of the slavery, of the captivity, of, of the, the misery that our people felt when they were uh, in Egypt. That's to be a reminder of that. Now, if you fast forward to Jesus and how his, his kind of fingerprint is on this, then you hear about his purpose to come in Isaiah 42, that he came to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out of the prisoners from their dungeon and from the prison those who sit in darkness. Jesus came to set us free from captivity. That's his purpose. And so you see that even unfolding as they're remembering this meal. They'd ask the question, why the unleavened bread? And the Father would remind them, that is to remind us that we are called to purity from sin. Leaven in bread was symbolic of sin because it permeates the whole loaf. It impacts the whole thing, and that's how sin works. And he said, when you take that out or extract that, it's, it's to remind us of the purity that we were called to. Hebrews 4 says, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one with it in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Friends, the only reason Jesus was effective in the sacrifice to pay for our sins is because he was sinless. He was sinless. And, and that leavened bread was a, a reminder of that. Why are we dressed to go? Why are we dressed to travel? How come we got our coats on and our bags all packed and ready to go? Father would say, it's to remind us that you are always to be prepared for the Lord's deliverance because it's going to come. And last week we were reminded uh, near the end of our message in Matthew 24, Jesus says, be ready because you don't know the hour that the Son of Man is going to come. Luke 12, you see it written there. You must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you don't expect. Be ready. Are you ready? These are the things that were kind of passed down and they were impressed and as, as they ate this together, um, the, it was a constant reminder of the heritage uh, from, from where they came. I think the third thing that I see that tied them together and that he intended, and here, here's where he really began to press in with these symbols, is that Jesus' followers remembered they recall, they remember these things together. And now, now this starts hitting a little closer to home. Here at North Shore, each week uh, when we come together, we do what we call communion, or we celebrate communion. And I know it probably means different things to different ones of you. I think that we really underestimate Jesus in his practicality 
in this upper room when it came to these moments as he attached significance and meaning to these two very common elements, the bread and the cup. And we're going to be doing this in, in a few minutes uh, together again. But I want us to live with this just for a few minutes uh, with Jesus as, as he, he's looking at these guys. And again, he, he knows that they are going to spend countless times eating together, right? Eating bread, drinking the cup. And, and he, he begins to attach to them uh, to kind of memorialize the meaning of that every time. He says, every time you eat this, I want you to do this. This is one reason why I don't think Jesus had in mind what we do typically on a weekend with a little piece of bread and a little cup. I think he actually was thinking about every meal that we take. It's why we say grace, I think, before we, we, um, we have our meals, is to pause and thank the Lord and remember and express our gratitude for what he's done. I think that more is at the heart uh, of what he practically intended to do at that point because he knew they'd always be doing this. How do you memorialize? How, how do you attach that meaning so you won't forget? You know, a number of years ago, I found myself in Moscow, Russia, um, not Idaho, like I said last night. Um, <laughs> I had just one of those deals. But I, I was with my brother-in-law and we were touring the city, and, and they took us to this cemetery. And apparently it was a well-known cemetery because a lot of uh, famous leaders were buried there. And when we walked through this cemetery, there was uh, this Russian, I guess you'd call him a sculptor, and he had this very fine uh, hammer and chisel with a, a point in, and he was making these dots on one of these stones, these flat stones. Beautiful piece of marble. And every dot had a specific intention to create what essentially was a portrait etched into this stone of a picture of the person who that represented. And as I looked around the cemetery, there were many of these pictures that had been created this way. I thought, wow, that's interesting. That's unique. I haven't seen that here so much. And then we walked a little further, and there were these, these uh, inverted impressions of the faces of, I think it was four astronauts who had been in, in some disaster. And it was one of those kind of things, you know, where you walk and it looks like their face is following you, you know, when, you, when, you, when they're inverted that way and it looks like we're, they're looking at you anywhere you look. It was kind of weird. Um, but, but I thought, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, because this was, I think this was 1993, and we, you know, they were not open for, very, they had not been opened up for that long. And, and these folks have lived in a godless society for like close to 70 years. And, the, and it just dawned on me, the only thing they had to really hang on to were these literal impressions, a picture or a statue or a, a you know, impression. And I started thinking about leaders who tried to immor immortalize themselves. Pharaohs, what did Pharaohs used to do? They would build a big pyramid, you know, and that would represent, you know, who they were, and, and so they would go on and on, and hey, they're still there, right? Pharaoh's not there, but, you know, you're reminded. Caesar implanted his picture on every coin so that he would kind of be memorialized. The Greeks would do it through their writings, and they thought that that would kind of perpetuate, uh, you know, their, their life. 
What does Jesus do? Jesus takes the fruit of the field and the fruit of the vine, two perishable items. You know, just the most common thing that you can, you can have. And he attaches his body and, and his blood to those two very common things. And isn't it interesting that still to this very day we remember that, don't we? We do that each and every week. I think there's several words that I think of when he's taken in, into this moment and it says that he takes this bread and he takes the cup and he's passing this around. Several of the things that come to my attention uh, of, that, that I, I think I just want to pass on. Why do we do what we do? Here's the first word. We, we commemorate. We remember. And, and I think we've talked about that. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And friends, wouldn't you agree, we have a propensity to forget. I think that's just a human trait, right? You'd think we'd learn, we'd think we'd learn our lesson, we'd think we'd remember, but you know, we're like sheep. <laughs> I hate to say it, but we just kind of wander off this way, wander off that way, and, and we just lose, lose our attention. And this kind of pulls us back, and we remember on a consistent basis of what, what Jesus did. Second word is participation. He says, take this and divide it among yourselves. I always feel like that this was meant to be done in community. It's meant to be done with other people. Because I, I think as Jesus is looking at this, relationship is going to be the key for all of this moving forward. That's why unity was so essential. And he's saying, take this, divide it among you. I want all of you to share this together. This next word, I, I need to give just a little bit more explanation to, and that is the word examination. This is a time of examination. And again, I don't know when you approach communion what some of your habits have been or background or thoughts that accompany that. I hope it's intentional. I hope it truly is an act of worship and, and that you're kind of focused because there's a lot of distraction around us, isn't there? And so when we come to that time, we want to know what did you have in mind at this point? Well, over the years, as I've sat in even, even other services, <clears throat> certain leaders will get to the passage that Paul wrote about in Corinthians 11, and there's a little thing and it says, you need to examine yourself so that you do this in a worthy manner. Does that sound familiar? And what they'll do is they'll kind of hammer you over the head. Boy, you better get yourself right or else you might take it in an unworthy manner. And it's pretty, pretty uh, harsh because he said some people have even fallen asleep, which is a, a code word for they've died as a result of this. And, and, and some leaders, in my opinion, have, have misinformed people with regards to the intention of what Paul was talking about there. They, they haven't put this in the context, and I want to do that for you today. I think it, since the subject is here, and it's so important. Paul was talking to a Corinthian group of folks who were typical church gathering in, in ancient times. They would usually gather together at somebody's home, usually a place large enough to where they could all come together, they would usually spend a good part of the day together. Therefore, there was a meal that often was involved. And the way they did it, in fact, they would call it a love feast or an agape feast. They would, they would bring collectively their own 
kind of contribution to the table, kind of like we do at our, at our life group, you know, on, on our Thursday night, you know, where folks will kind of contribute and they'll bring it together. And here's what was happening. Some of the folks that had enough or had, had plenty, they would, bring, they would bring quite a bit. And when it came time to dole it out, they would be at the front of the line and they would, they would stack their plates up with the food and the people that didn't have much were at the back of the line and oftentimes would come through the line and there wasn't even anything left for them. And they were ashamed. And that's why Paul was so incensed. If you read it, read chapter 11. They, he was so incensed and he says, is this the love feast? Is this the agape feast you're, you're doing? Is this the Lord's Supper that you're taking? He says, by no means. And he says, can I commend you? Absolutely not. He says, I'm, I'm just... I'm taken back by what you're doing. And that's why his reminder to examine said, you need to pay attention to the body of Christ. And he was not talking about that little piece of bread, okay? He was talking about the body of Christ. And that's each other. And he said, your attitude toward one another is what God is truly looking, and that's where our true evaluation uh, needs to take place. Basically saying, are there relationships right now that you're disregarding the impact of conflict or division or strife that you have? You think you can come in and participate at the Lord's table and, and still have something over here? That's why Jesus reminded us in Matthew 5. He says, if you come to the altar to worship and there you remember there's something uh, that a brother has ought with you or you have with them, you go make that right first and then come to the altar and offer your gift to the Lord. It's so essential to the Lord, is how we, how we treat each other. And so that's why Paul said, he goes, you guys, you need to examine yourself so that when you participate in that meal, that you're doing so really with love as your priority for, for one another, and especially those who may be without. And so, when we come together, I don't know if that's your thoughts when you're holding those elements and just thinking, Lord, would you examine my heart and is there any relationship right now that needs to be repaired or uh, confessed about or uh, forgiveness asked or forgiveness received you know, so that, that reconciliation could happen? I think that's what he's talking about uh, as that unfolds. The last word is the word proclamation. And he says, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It perpetuates, it keeps going forward. Before we, uh, before we take that communion in just a few moments, there are just a couple of other things that I wanted to pull out of this, and, and then we're gonna observe that, that part together. But I couldn't help but notice over in Matthew's gospel in chapter 26 that... Uh, that Jesus drops a bombshell on them. And the word that really stood out to me is the word sorrowful. They were sorrowful. Um, look at it in verse 21. He says, and they were eating, and he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and they began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? Don't you love their self-confidence? <laughs> is it me? Am I the one that's gonna do this? They didn't, they didn't have a whole lot of, uh, of, uh, of stamina to believe that they, they were beyond that. You know, hey, Lord, is it me? Of course, Peter, he, he wants to make the Lord know, 
you know, hey, I'll be there. It won't be me, you know. Man, I'll never deny you. And then, of course, the Lord had to remind him, yeah, before the night's over, you're going to do it three times, right? And so, as I saw this, this is just the beginning of these guys getting hit with these bombshells, these, these just gut-wrenching moments. And they grieved together. They shared this together. And this was just the beginning. Think about what happens after he goes to the cross and he's buried in the, in the tomb and they're all gathered in a room cowering in fear because of, of what may be coming. They grieve together. And do you ever find that when you grieve with somebody, there's something very binding about that? There's something that those moments can take you to a place like nothing else can. This is hitting home very personally this week. I thought the timing was interesting because, uh, you know, the last few days I, I've been with family at a level like in some cases I haven't ever been and, and sorting through some of these things and processing some of this with my siblings. And I just have to tell you guys, it's been interesting that I've, I've talked to my, uh, particularly one brother, at a level like I, I've never talked to before. In fact, he called yesterday, and he's still kind of sorting through this. And he'll call, and we'll talk, and I'll just say, David, I said, basically, what this is about right now is we need to be ready. We need to be ready. I need to be ready. You need to be ready. And he said something I don't think he's ever said. He said, you know, I have been thinking a lot about that lately. And and I know that in my family, I don't know what yours is like, but we've, we've, over the years, we're, we're not necessarily the kind of family that tells you that we love you, you know, every time we get off the phone or every time we conclude a call or whatever. But that's changed during this season that we've been walking through this with my, uh, my brother who was ill and then, and then finally passed away. And now, rarely, I, I don't think ever now, do we not remind each other we really love you. There's something binding about walking through this together. And that's what these guys were doing. They were walking through those hard times. And I think it would prepare them even for what lie ahead. I think a fifth thing is they've, they resolved conflict together. And they had conflict. <laughs> Does that surprise anybody? Think about this. Jesus is pouring into these guys how important the sacrifice he's about to make. He's attaching his life, his body, his blood to these elements and saying, this is what's about to, to come down. I mean, this is important stuff, would you agree? This is, he's wanting to etch in their minds and hearts forever. And what is the most important thing on their mind right now? It is who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom that is about to come. That's what the Bible said. They were disputing over that while Jesus has just been trying to to get their attention in this other matter. Would that not frustrate you? If it was me, I tell you, I would just, I would light into him. I, I, I mean, that would just be my nature. What does Jesus do, though? Jesus gets up from the table, says he takes off his outer clothing, gets down on his knees, and he begins to wash their feet one by one by one. And they're just blown away. I, I mean, think about this, guys. In this meal... It would have been automatic that there would have been somebody at the front door, a servant of some kind, that would have 
have done that as they walked in there. I've told you before that the setting is not like the picture we have out here where they're sitting in chairs like we're used to. They were reclining on a table and their feet were in each other's faces. All right? And you would think that now knowing that he is the son of God, they've watched him calm the storm. They've seen him heal the lame and the blind. They've seen him raise the dead. They've even said out loud, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. Somebody would have had it in their heart to wash his feet as they walked in there, but apparently no one did. That's amazing to me. And so Jesus, he gets up, and I'm telling you, it was awkward to say the least. Peter says, I'm not going to let you do it. Oh, I, I'm, I'm too uncomfortable. And he says, if you don't let me do this, then you have no part of me. Oh, then do the whole thing. You know, that's Peter, right? <laughs> do it all. And Jesus, one by one, can, can you picture Jesus coming to Judas? Judas, the one who is in just moments going to betray him to those religious officials. And he's washing his feet. Would that not make a lasting impression on you if, in, in the years and the decades to come as you thought about the love that Jesus And that's why John records, he says these words before that happened. Jesus got up from the table and showed them the full extent of his love. You thought that would have been reserved for the cross, right? He says when he started washing their feet, it made such a deep impression and I think these guys probably spiritually got a slap in the face. And the conflict that they had over who was going to be the greatest, all of a sudden that didn't become quite so important, did it? And friends, think about the conflicts that you and I have as disciples of Christ, as followers of Christ. Do you ever find the Lord just kind of getting your attention and saying, hey, let me just remind you. Because usually conflict has to do with us demanding our way, doesn't it? And the person doesn't want to give us that or, or observe that or, or be inclined toward that. And we think, we've got to have this. And when we come to the cross and following the cross of Jesus Christ, I've said this often, it's about giving up your rights to yourself. You've signed them over. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ so that I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. That's, that's the follower of Christ. And so when conflicts do come, and they're going to come, Relationally, we, uh, we resolve that. We've tried to adopt a saying even around here, around our staff and things, that we're going to fight for relationship. Sometimes our inclination is to run and hide, uh, to, avoid, uh, to avoid confrontation. But we, we're trying to, trying to encourage and, and model stepping toward it. As uncomfortable as it is, we know that the Lord is just displeased when there's division or strife or, or disconnect. Friends, that's the enemy's number one agenda is to divide us because he knows essentially our testimony rests upon this unity, upon this love, upon this, this oneness. That's why at the bottom of your notes it says a new commandment. In that same upper room he said this, this is the commandment I'm giving you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's what the charge is today, I think. is that We're transported to that upper room, and in a moment we'll take those elements again. 
let's just use that as a time of reflection. The last word on your note there that I notice is that they sang together. <laughs> and there's something unifying about singing with one voice, isn't there? It's important. When we come together on our weekends and we sing some songs and we worship the Lord, there's something that ties us together, and that's what the Lord's heart and His intent is. Today what we're going to do, um, I'm going to invite uh, Emily and Brittany. They're going to come and sing a song that uh, Emily has, has just uh, written and, and beautiful words that are going to kind of guide us to, to reflect and remember what the Lord has done. There's a line in there that talks about the, the blood of Christ and the, the work of the blood of Christ over us. Let's be reminded of that. As the ushers are going to come, they're going to serve you these elements. And if you'll hold on to those, as soon as uh, the girls are done singing, we'll, we'll come back and we'll share this time together, okay? Let me pray as we move into this time. Father, thank you uh, again for the model that you gave us through your word. And we just trust in Jesus' name that these next few moments we will truly use as a time of evaluation, of reflection, of, uh, of remembering, uh, but also, Lord, in some cases of confessing and, uh, and seeking uh, uh, the right heart that you've called us to, to live about. So we commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.